Well, home is uh, something we all want. And when kids grow, are grown up and they're out on their own, they get into a tough situation. Often they call home, or maybe they call home, or go home, I mean, and then stay with their parents or something to get back on their feet. And when the holidays come around, um, we go home to be with, with family and loved ones. When we travel for business or vacation or um, a field trip or anything like that, maybe we would say, like, wow, man, I'm really longing for home. I want to go home. I just uh, want to be back in my own bed. And for some of us, our home growing up was a joyous thing. It's something that brought us a lot of joy. And for others of us, um, it is a difficult thing. When we think of home, we're like, man, I never want to go back there because that was not um, a good thing for me. But whatever the case is, um, we're all still on this search for home. We have this longing for it. We have an ache for it. We want a place to call home. And so we're going to take uh, just a little time to describe um, why is it that we have this longing for home? Like, what is it about home that is something that we want? And so, um, the question I want to think us think about: If home was everything it's supposed to be, because some of us had a home that wasn't what it's supposed to be, and every home was imperfect, and some of us had a home that was, you know, a, a good place. But if everything was as it's supposed to be, what kind of place would home be? And maybe you could think of completing this sentence: um, Home is a place where I am blank. So I'm going to get my handy markers out there. So we're going to just put our little brainstorm on here. So home is a place where I am blank. Put word in the middle. That'll be fun. Then we'll write stuff all around it. So how would you complete that sentence? Home is a place where I am blank. Safe. Safe. That's the first word that came to mind for me. Safe. Loved. Happy. Happy. Accepted. Accepted. I was thinking it was a place uh, like you're known because usually you don't feel at home with strangers. It's like you go home and the peop- everyone kind of knows you and you don't have to like meet people. So it's where you're known. Comfortable. Comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like, I want to be in my own bed, I want to be in my chair, I know where all the food is, and uh, hopefully we have AC, because it's hot out. So home. Home's a place where I am blank. Anything else? Blessed. Blessed. Some of these hit at this, I would say, uh, it's where you feel you belong. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't feel out of place. It's like, all these people, well, these people like accept me, it's safe, I'm loved, you know, I'm comfortable there, I feel like I belong, you know, it's not um, uncomfortable. Wouldn't be like a, more like a, like an actor word, like, I don't know if it's the best word, like, I want to say, like, taught. Like, I don't know, it's like, it's not a good word. Like, I'm trying to think, like, in terms of, like, uh, like this is the place where, like, you learn, like, the mm. most important things, hmm. I think. So home is... You know what I mean? Like, you learn how to do relationships. formed, kind of? Yeah, like, it's, like, uh, formative. Like, you, you learn how to do relationships. It's like a growth environment. Yeah, like you learn how to... Even, like, you know, like, parents teaching, you know, 
kids. Like I'm thinking like an ideal home, like it's a learning environment. Okay. So maybe home I is a place it. where I grow, I'm taught. Yeah, and it's like it's like encouraged. It's like it's like you're it's it's a it's a positive thing. I was thinking nurtured. Yes, thank there you. There you go. There it is. Nurtured. That's the word. Yeah. Nurture. Nice. Well, last call before we stop that. Okay. So these are all like positive words. And like when we think of home, it's like, oh, that's the, that's the place I want to be. Like, who would want to be in a place like this where you're safe and accepted and comfortable and belong and you're nurtured and, and known and blessed? And uh, this is a, that's a place we want to be. And we have a longing um, to be in a place like that. Um, when we started the book of Genesis in chapter 1, we talked about the idea of home, that when God first created the world and us, it was to be a home where he would dwell with us and we would have um, this close relationship with him. But then we quickly saw how our home with God became the first broken home in human history. And in Genesis, it's a book of beginnings, where Genesis means beginning. And the big uh, story of it um, is how God is beginning our journey home. And chapters 1 through 11 are kind of at a breaking point here in the book. Chapters 1 through 11 are setting up um, the rest of the story. It's how was everything supposed to be, and then how did everything get messed up. And that's kind of what Genesis 1 through 11, uh, the main focus of it is. But then all throughout we've seen God's grace in response to human sinfulness and rebellion um, and disobedience. But starting in chapter 12, uh, God's going to initiate a really specific plan um, for bringing us home. And that's why the name of the series is Beginning the Journey Home. And that journey home and that plan is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He's what makes it possible. But it gets started um, in Genesis 12, which we're going to be covering um, in a couple weeks. Um, so at all this, all this decoration, so it's supposed to remind us that, yeah, home, um, Genesis 1 and 2 describe home for us. It was the Garden of Eden, and so we have this decoration reminding us of a garden, and that's this is our, that's what home was when we were walking with God and in his presence um, and doing what he said. And last week we finished Noah and the flood, and the covenant God made with Noah, and this week we're going to trace the growth of Noah's family. They get out of the, the ark, um, and now they're supposed to repopulate the earth. They're supposed to fill the earth. God says, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth again. Um, but we also see their continued desire um, our continued desire, humanity's continued desire, because the whole earth was filled with people from Noah's family, so we're descendants of them. Um, we see their desire to live independent of God. Um, as I was studying this passage, uh, it became a, a happy coincidence that um, this week as we celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day, um, and our founding fathers, they believed Great Britain didn't have their best interests in mind, and so they wrote up a Declaration of Independence, and then they signed their names to it, saying, We're, we want to be independent of this uh, nation that's ruling over us now. And it was just signing this piece of paper, um, but it was deeply meaningful and symbolic. You know, what's the big deal? But it's like, no, we're declaring our independence by signing this piece of paper. And they're separating themselves from the King of England and his rule. And in our passage today, uh, the people in it, they build a tower, and it, it's symbolic of their attitudes towards God, because they're kind of making their declaration of independence. Hey, we're going to build the city. We're going to build this tower. This is our declaration of independence um, because they're believing God doesn't really have their best interests in mind, and so they want to be uh, independent from him. And the big question this passage answers is, what happens when we declare independence from God? What happens when we declare independence from God? We're going to do... Uh, a flyover of chapter 10 um, 
first before we get to chapter 11. And I spared Brian from uh, proving that he could pronounce all those names in our first scripture reading. Um, I, 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 I know you could have, but I, I know you didn't like to, though. You didn't need to prove yourself. Uh, but even though we didn't do that as our first scripture reading, it doesn't mean it wasn't important. Um, but the difficulty for us is, is that a lot of these names don't really mean much to us. Um, they meant a lot to the first people reading it, but they don't mean a lot to us. Um, and so for us reading through it, you can kind of feel like, okay, it's just a list of names. It doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. Um, and that's okay, but it, there are things that are important in it because this chapter is recording the generations of Noah's sons, um, Japheth, uh, Shem, and Ham, um, because those are the people that repopulate the earth. And uh, this, in this section of the chapter, uh, each son has a section. It's like, who, here's who comes from Japheth, here's who comes from Ham, here's who comes from Shem. But the lists are selective. It only tells us some of the people that come from them, um, and then it gives more detail for some than others. Um, and the reason is it's uh, because these are the people that matter to the nation of Israel, the first people reading this book. And so it's kind of from their perspective, like, okay, who matters to us? Like, who are the people we um, need to know about um, as we go through this? And I, uh, the way you can think of it is, like, if you were to ask me um, what football teams are in the NFL, um, I could tell you about them according to my interest level in them um, as a Packer fan. So, I, you know, anybody didn't know from Wisconsin, Packer fan, so if you need to do something cruel to me after the service, you can do that. Um, but uh, I might list off the names of, of teams in the NFL according to my interest in them. So I might start off with people who are kind of like, well, you know, here's a couple of names I can think of, you know, people that aren't that important to me, like Miami Dolphins, Carolina Panthers, and New York Giants and the 49ers. It's like, because those people, they're not even in our division. Like, we hardly ever play them. Um, they're not rivals. And so it's like, oh, there's some, I can think of a couple teams kind of out there. Um, but then um, maybe I would mention, you know, maybe in that list I'd be like, oh, but then there's the Patriots. And, like, we don't really like them because, like, they win all the time and, like, they're accused of cheating. And so maybe I'd throw somebody in there and give you a little detail, but the other people I would just list. And then maybe I'd start going through the people that, like, the Packers um, actually play a lot, like, in our division, like the Detroit Lions and the Bears and the Vikings. And I might mention the Lions because, okay, we have to beat them in order to, like, get our playoff spot. And, like, the Bears, I might mention, like, we have to beat them to get a playoff spot. Um, and they really don't like us, um, but we're not, like, super concerned about them, but then the Vikings, we really do not like the Vikings. We are like bitter rivals with the Vikings. So I might talk more about them and say like, we even had a quarterback who retired and then went over to the Vikings and came out of retirement. And it's like, bad story, Brett Favre, if any of you didn't know that. But we've forgiven him. He came to Lambeau Field once and we forgave him. So, uh, but then, Lastly, I would get to, okay, now the Packers. This is home team, and I would start telling you even more detail about them, like, oh, here's some cool facts about Green Bay, here's some cool facts about uh, the team, here's, like, their record, Super Bowls they've won, like our last three quarterbacks and stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of how this list works. It's like they're going through uh, the people that are important to them. And the first list, uh, we get Japheth, and there's not really much said about him. It's just kind of lists off some generations, and not really many details because these people aren't geographically close to Israel. So like, yeah, you know, we don't really have much to say about them. And then next they go through the sons of Ham and more is covered there in verses 6 through 20. You know, I don't know, what is that, like quadruple or triple or something, the verses. Um, more generations and more detail are given there because a lot of these people were Israel's enemies and people they were like rivals with and had a lot of interaction with. And so two of Ham's sons are Egypt and Canaan. And if you know the biblical story, 
Uh, if, you're, if you're an Israelite, mentioning these two is like mentioning the Bears and Vikings to a Packer fan. It's like, whoa, these are people that are close to us, and like we have a lot of conflict with these people. Because Egypt enslaved Israel for 400 years, and the people reading this, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which includes Genesis, um, they uh, were just rescued from slavery in Egypt. And so it's like, okay, Egypt, like they really matter to us. Then the land of Canaan uh, is the land that God promises to Israel. They leave slavery in Egypt, and he says, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan where all these people live. Um, and they were like, uh, they had a lot of immoral practices, and that's one of the reasons God's giving Israel the land. They're like, these people have forfeited their rights to have this land, and I'm kicking them out. And then two of the cities that they form are Sodom and Gomorrah, we're told. Uh, that's in verses, um, down in verse 19 in chapter 10. And Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, are kind of like the worst of the worst. They're like the, the prime example of like, this is what it means to be like immoral and not following God and like doing evil things like Sodom and Gomorrah. So um, not much time. Oh, and then also back up in uh, 8 through 12, um, Nimrod, there's a guy named Nimrod, um, kind of weird name, but uh, he's mentioned, there's a whole bunch of verses given to him because the, uh, what he goes on to create, he goes on and builds Babylon and he goes on and builds Nineveh in Assyria. And in the Bible, those two nations um, become really great, and at different times they invade the nation of Israel and take a bunch of them into captivity. So it's like, okay, those are like really big names um, in the Bible too. And so not much time is spent on the sons of Japheth because they're like the dolphins, the panthers, the giants, the 49ers. They're not, they're kind of far away, don't really interact um, with the home team. But then a lot of time is spent on the sons of Ham because they're like the lions and the bears and the Vikings. They're close. Um, and they're rivals, and there's a lot of interaction. And then starting in verse 21, um, the focus is on Noah's son, Shem, because Shem is like the home team. That's like the Packers for Shem, because from Shem comes Terah, and from Terah comes Abraham, and Abraham is the founding father um, of Israel, because God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and bless you, and then Abraham's family grows and becomes the nation of Israel. And so a lot of time is spent there. And if we're just reading over this list in chapter 10, we could get this, potentially get this positive feeling. God told Noah, spread out and fill the earth. And then look, they did it. They spread out and filled the earth and became all these other nations and languages and stuff like that. Uh, but Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, give us a different story that actually this is um, a result of something else. Um, because the first four verses of Genesis 11 um, describe humanity's effort to declare independence. So let's read starting in verse uh, Verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So their plan is to make these bricks, use this bitumen for mortar, and another word for that is asphalt. So, you know, that's what we use on blacktop and shingles on our roof and stuff. It's the sticky, tarry kind of stuff. And you can actually find it naturally in like these pits. There's other parts of the Bible where um, people's chariots like fall into these bitumen pits and they can't pursue people anymore. So it's kind of scary, like stepping into one of those things. Uh, but then what do they want to do with it? Verse 4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. When God gave them a job, he commissioned them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Instead, they're working against God's will. They, they're building this city and this tower so that they won't be dispersed 
over the whole earth. They're acting in disobedience um, to the purpose that God has given them. And th this tower that they want to build is famously called the, the Tower of Babel. And it represents three desires um, that answer our big question. And the big question um, is this. What happens when we declare independence from God? First, uh, we work to be close to God. We work to be close to God. When we declare independence from God, we work to be close to God. And this tower they're building, um, ar archaeologists call uh, it a, a ziggurat. It's kind of like our, um, our name for it. And I have a picture, which I'll pass around because I realize it's too small, but I'll just point a couple things out. Um, this is a picture of a ziggurat. There's like dozens of these that have been found in Mesopotamia, the area where Israel was. And it's basically you know, this big thing with stairs going up to it. And this, in this one, you can kind of see there's clouds up here. It's like, we're going to kind of make this staircase to heaven kind of thing. And so this is what a ziggurat looks like. And there's some standing still today that you can, I mean, go see it. And it's like, you can see the bricks and these things. are They're massive. They're, uh, they're not like a pyramid. A pyramid is hollow. Um, but these are just solid. Um, they just, the, the point is to get up, get up high in the air. Um, and they, uh, there's still unanswered questions uh, about their purpose. But one thing, in com uh, one common explanation that basically everyone says is they're built to give access to the gods. Like I said, it's kind of like this staircase to heaven where you could kind of get closer to them, um, but also they could come down to you and you could kind of meet them on that platform up there. And this special class of priests um, would do special rituals up there um, to, I don't know, make the gods happy or feed them because in every... All these other religions um, in Israel's day, they believe sacrifices fed the gods, like you're providing food for them, um, which is not the case in, uh, with the nation of Israel. And these builders, they don't want to obey God uh, by filling the earth, but they still want God to be in their lives. There's kind of this weird contradiction. The problem is that they want God on their own terms. They want to have him in their way. They don't want, they don't want to obey him, but they still want him around. They still want to have some sort of connection with him. And almost everyone you meet has a desire to be close to God. And we're kind of like homing pigeons. Even if they're thousands of miles away from their nest, they can still find their way home. They have this sense of where home is. And we're the same way. We have the sense that home is where our God is, and we're trying to get back to him. And you, you won't meet anyone who isn't on some sort of spiritual journey and trying to find a place to hang their hat, some sort of religious belief, some sort of belief in a, in a God and where they can feel at home. And even people who deny that God exists um, and say they only trust science, are, they worship the grandeur and the beauty of the universe. They're finding something to express the worship of our heart. We're like these homing pigeons that are wanting to worship something. And we're all looking for this in our religious beliefs. Um, everyone's trying to find this in them. Someone's, everyone's trying to get to this place of home because we have these deep desires for safety and love and happiness and being blessed and growth and nurture. We're all wanting this. And so everyone's trying to find that somewhere in some way. And the problem is we too often do it on our own terms. We build our own towers of battle to reach God by our work, by our accomplishments, by our effort. And like these builders, we're kind of this mixed bag um, of contradictory desires and actions because we don't want to follow God's ways, trusting him and doing what he says, but we still want to be close with him. And but we both want to disobey God and we want to be close to God. It's like, uh, well, we can't be close with him um, on our own terms. We can only be close with him um, on his terms. It's the only way that it'll happen. And we have this sense that God is far and because he is, 
um, we need to get close to him. Not, he's not physically far, like, okay, God like moved off into some distant neighborhood in the cosmos. Like, no, God is relationally far from us. And we have this sense, like, man, I need to get close to him. And so they built this tower to try to get up close to him. But today we do our own things to try and work our way to build our own towers to get close to God. Um, we try to build it uh, by being good enough. We go to church services or giving money or we try to um, help people. And we say, like, okay, like, I've done my thing. I've done, I've done something to be good enough for God. Um, but none of it's ever going to be enough because no tower that we build um, is big enough or tall enough um, to get to God on our own, to cover the distance between us and God. And, and Jesus said, and that's why Jesus said that he's the way, he's the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the only way we can be close to God because he paid the price for our you know, declaration of independence against God. We said, I want to rebel against you. I'm declaring my independence. And that's what the United States was doing. Like they were rebelling against uh, Great Britain. And then there was consequences. There was war. Um, and, and Jesus paid the price for that act of rebellion. And so first, uh, we worked to be close to God. Second, we worked for security. When we declare independence from God, we work for security. When we work for security, we want to be able to say, uh, I am safe. I am safe. I'm secure. And these builders, they don't want to be dispersed over the earth. And so they build this city and this tower. And God's desire for them is to fill the earth as his representatives made in his image. But they don't want to do that. They believe that God uh, doesn't have their best interests in mind. And so they work against his will. Instead of filling the earth, they're like, no, we're going to gain security um, from that. We don't want to be dispersed, so we're going to build this tower of the city. And when we believe that God uh, doesn't want what is best for us, we won't trust him. If we believe his uh, desire and will for us um, is in our best interest, we would find security in doing what he says. But if we don't trust God, um, we're going to work to build uh, safety and security in, in our own way, by our own efforts. And security it gives us rest. It's a place uh, where we can let our guard down. But if we don't find our rest in God, we'll be um, seeking security and safety our whole lives. So we see, like, this is a place where we can let our guard down. Like Caleb said, it's a place where we're comfortable. Like, okay, I don't have to be something I'm not. I can be comfortable here. I'm accepted. I belong. And so we're searching for this place of home, and we're either going to find it in God or we're going to try to build it ourselves. And some of us will seek it safety and security through money or respect or control. Like, okay, these things are going to make me feel secure and safe. Or maybe we're trying to seek um, the, the approval of, like, our friends or our spouse or our siblings or people around us. Like, oh, if I have their approval, then I'm, I'm a safe person. Like, they're accepting me. And sometimes we find security in being busy. Like, you know, oh, I'm, if I'm not busy, like, we feel like we're, we're I don't know, like, not doing something right. It's like, I just need to be busy. And some of us are like, oh, I just need to get as the least amount busy as possible, um, and then I'll feel like, oh, now I can like rest and, and be uh, feel safe and secure. Um, and some of us, we say, like, oh, you know, the dream is like when I'm 65 and I can retire and do nothing, and then I can finally rest. Um, but no matter what it is, if it isn't God, we'll never find security and rest. We'll always be waiting for it. Third, we work for significance. When we declare independence from God, we work for significance. When we work for significance, we want to be able to say, I matter. I matter to other people. I matter to God. You know, I'm, I'm worthwhile. And the builders want to construct this tower to make a name for themselves, they say. They want to be known for something. They want this tower to be enduring monuments saying, we matter. We made a difference. We're worth something. 
When we stop trusting in God to define us and give us our identity, we'll work to prove that we matter through our own efforts and accomplishments. And instead of trusting what God has said about who we are, we'll work to make a name for ourselves. I need to prove that I matter. But God has already told us who we are. He said, I made you in my image, and that means that we matter. We were made for a purpose. We were made in his likeness, and we are made to be his representatives on earth. And, if, and even more, if we've trusted in Jesus... Um, we're his adopted sons and daughters. We're servants of the king who gave his life for us. So if you've trusted in Jesus, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're accepted. It's not based on anything that you've done. It's based on what Jesus has already done for you. It's not based on your accomplishments. And we seek significance through being known for something. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be respected and adored and appreciated and cherished. And men... We often look for significance through our work. We find our identity, and our value, and our jobs, and how we're doing at those jobs, and whether people respect the job that we're doing. And then uh, for women, this is what Katie has helped me to understand or told me, um, women often find their significance through how they look or, how they're, uh, or through their spouse or boyfriend um, or through how good of a mom they are. And both of these are, are dead ends for men and for women. They'll, none of these will ever satisfy our longing for, for significance and like feeling like we matter. In verses 1 through 4, they showed us the Tower of Babel from the human perspective. And then verses 5 through 9 show us God's perspective on this matter. So let's turn to those verses. Um, verse 5 says this, and The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And just pause. They wanted to build this tower with its top in the heavens, um, but it's so far from that goal that God, it's kind of like this little ant. God has to look down, go down to it. You're like, okay, I see they're doing something down there. Let me go down. It's kind of this little comical moment of like, it's this little ant from God's point of view. Let me go down and see what's going on down there. So their goals kind of failed. And then verse 6 gives us God's assessment. The Lord said, Behold, they're one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And this situation is not good. Um, it may sound like, what? what? Why would God not want us to be able to do everything we want to do? Like, we should just have this unlimited potential. But what they're doing is not good because they're working together against God's purposes. And so now we learn where did all these languages and tribes and nations come from in chapter 10? Uh, we, we learn that they're actually the result of God's action against humanity, declaring independence. They're refusing to fill the earth and do God's will. And so he says, okay, I'm going to get this done one way or another. I'm going to confuse the languages so that they have to disperse. Um, and God um, makes that happen. And so in verse 8, it tells us, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And here we get the final answer to our big question. And the big question this passage answers is, what happens when we declare independence from God? And the fourth and final answer is, God opposes our work for independence. God opposes our work for independence. We were made to be dependent on God. We were not made to be independent from Him or of Him. We were made to receive security and significance from him. And so when we try to find those things apart,
apart from him. He opposes that effort. Seeking security and significance apart from him is like going down this path that's going to eventually take us off a cliff or like taking a cup of water that has poison in it and drinking it. And so it's God doesn't do it to be like, okay, like I just want them to uh, think I'm so great so I have to stop them from doing this. But it's like, no, it's like we're drinking our own poison. He's trying to oppose those efforts because the best thing for us is to be dependent on him. And so he's trying to stop us from drinking this poison that leads to death um, from us trying to be independent of him. And God's desire is to get us off that path so we, deter, so we turn to him. And because of that, God will frustrate our plans and our efforts to live independently from him. And uh, is our desire as humans to live in community with other humans a bad thing? Like these guys are doing, let's build a city and this tower so we can stay together. Well, no, that's not a, a bad thing. Is our desire to work together to build great things bad? No, it's not a bad thing. But when those become efforts to live independently from God, that's when it becomes a bad thing, and God wants to get us off that path. And there's various times in Scripture when it says God uh, gives people over to their desires for independence. If you read Romans 1, and God gives them over um, to wanting to be separate from Him. And that's a, a way that God is like, okay, this is what you want, and I'm just going to let you go down that path. And that's the way God um, judges people, lets them experience the consequences um, of their desire for independence, because it only leads to death and destruction. And when Jesus was on earth, his desire was to turn people back from dependence um, to dependence. Uh, from, from independence to dependence. Uh, he called people to follow him as his disciples. And this was his requirement. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And what we call discipleship, or learning to follow Jesus, is about moving from independence to dependence. We're all trying to be independent of God. And discipleship or following Jesus is learning how to be dependent on him once again. And that's why we, our mission statement is surrendering all of life to Jesus, moving from this place of rebellion and insubordination to a place of surrender and saying, that God, I'm just going to be dependent on you. All these things that I'm looking for outside of you, I'm going to surrender that to you. And to make that move, we have to deny ourselves and be willing to die to our own desires and then follow his ways. And all this takes us back to our desire for home because home is... It's where we belong. It's a place where we're close to God. We know Him and He knows us. And home is a place where we are secure. We're safe and protected. And home is a place where we're significant. We know we matter and we're valuable to the people there. Home is you know, all these things. Like you know, Think about the things we talked about. Close to God, security, significance. Like All these things communicate that to us. Like safety, security. Um, do we matter? Yeah, we're loved. We belong. Uh, people are blessing us. We're known. We're being nurtured. We matter to these people here. And all this is a, an environment um, of closeness. And God's desire is to lead us to the well that will truly satisfy our longings for closeness with Him and security and significance. And so, you can, here's a truth you can, you can leave with. Uh, know that God fulfills your longings for home. God fulfills your longings for home. Everything we wrote on here are all desires that God has put in us, um, that we're seeking to get met somewhere. We're either going to try to get them met with our friends, or our kids, or our spouses, or our job, um, or through alcohol, or drugs, or, or, or work, whatever it is. We're going to try to get these needs met. They're all put deep inside of us. Like, look how easy that was for us to write this list up here. Like, we all know these are things that we want, and we're going to seek them out somewhere, because we're all homesick. We all long to be home. We're all looking for this 
place. And the deepest longings and desires and aches of the human heart are satisfied by God because our heart desires home, and home is where our God is. And yet, even if we know this, even if I say it, even if each of us says it, even if we read in the Bible, even if we put it up there, we're going to still struggle to seek it elsewhere. Um, we're still going to try to do it our way. We're still going to try to do, be independent of God. And rather than admitting we need God, um, we'd rather work our way to Him and make our own path for security and significance. And everyone has difficulty admitting they need help. Um, we have a problem saying, like, yeah, I need help. Um, we'd rather put on a, a front that, no, I don't need help, or we don't want to ask for help. Um, and there's that old joke about men asking for directions, like, oh, I'm never going to ask for directions. I'm just going to, you know, figure this out. Um, and, you know, we're going to, I'm not going to look up directions for building this desk. I'm not going to look up directions for getting this place I'm trying to go. But all of us have trouble asking for help. And so um, I'll just brainstorm a little bit. Um, and the question I want you to think of, uh, what keeps us, you know, from asking for help. Can you think of reasons that um, we wouldn't ask for help, but maybe in our homework or maybe with our house chores or with our job or um, with our spiritual life? Like, why wouldn't we ask um, for help from other people? It doesn't have to necessarily be you personally, but like, what, how, can you think of reasons that we don't ask for help? Pride. Pride? Well, how would you describe pride? Um that I can do that on. Just one of those words that we hear a lot and um, sometimes we need to define it. I heard somebody say pride is an inflated view of self. So why do you have a willfulness to do it on your own? Well, I have an inflated view of myself that I can, I can do this on my own. And it's like, well, that's uh, not what the Bible calls us. So, what are other reasons that somebody w- would resist asking for help? Embarrassed. Embarrassed? Yeah. <laughs> Embarrassed. Like, I feel ashamed that I have to have help. I should be able to do this on my own or something. Yeah. Be nervous. Nervous? Yeah. Maybe nervous about, like, how to ask or what the people will think of you or something like that. Other reasons we don't ask for help? Don't know who to ask. Don't know who to ask? Don't know who to ask. You can say, don't know how to ask. Maybe I, I feel like I need something. I'm in trouble. I don't even know what to ask for, though. That could be so, don't know who to ask or how to ask. Contorting my body to get this, to write this on here. I think sometimes uh, I don't ask for help because. Um, I don't believe other people would want to help, so it's kind of like, well, it's not, so it might not be about me, like, like, oh, I really need help, I want to ask, but oh, they won't, they won't want to help me anyway, or like, it's going to be a bother to them, I don't want to bother somebody else. Maybe when's the right time to ask? Don't know the timing. Oh, I have that down here, don't know. When to ask? Yeah, anything else? 
reasons we someone might not ask for help? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, probably the first thing maybe Brian said, pride could just be a big circle around a bunch of these. Like, well, we have an inflated view of ourselves. It's kind of like um, we, are, we just don't want to ask. Well, maybe it doesn't go around all of them, so we'll see if it's on a separate one. But yeah, we are, we'll feel ashamed or we're nervous what people will think of us. Um, and it's... Yeah, so we don't reach out for the help we need. Um, and all these barriers, all these keep us from home. This keeps us from this. This is like, we should just put a little wall here. <laughs> like, this is, this is what gets in the way like, uh, of that. Because, I mean, dependence on God means we have to ask God for help. Um, and we need to learn. Maybe some of these things are like learning. You, we don't know who to ask. Well... Here's someone you can ask. We can ask God, but maybe we're like, I don't know how to ask, or, or I don't know what situations or when I should be asking for help. We're like, I feel embarrassed. Like God has told me to do this, and like He's just going to kind of scold me if I don't know how to do it. So I feel embarrassed. Like He doesn't want to do that. Or maybe just have pride. Like well, I don't need God's help, and so we don't ask. But if we aren't willing to, um, or we could think like, well, God, you, uh, I don't want to bother you up there. You got a lot of things you're dealing with, um, so I'm not going to ask you for help. But if we're doing all this stuff, it keeps us from. Um, all of these things. We can't get those things um, from God if we're not willing to ask. And it's un- unless we're willing to admit um, that we're needy and ask for help, we can't get those things. And so here's one way. Um, if you have your bulletin, um, if you didn't grab a pen, um, you can grab them from back there if you have one in your purse. Uh, or <laughs> your purse. Uh, Becky's probably the only one that has a purse here. If you have one <laughs> on your person, uh, not in your purse, um, then yes. <laughs> Uh, so one way you can discover where you find security and significance might be like, well, I don't really know where that is. Um, but here's how you can def- define, uh, figure that out. Complete this sentence. If only blank. And you complete it with, then I would feel secure and significant. If only blank, um, then I would feel sec- So most likely you can complete the first part of that sentence in an instant. Your if only is the thing you're always frustrated about, you're always anxious and nervous about, um, or you're always worried about it. It's like always on your mind. It's probably the thing that you complain to other people about. That's your if only, because um, it's the thing you want to be different. If only I could get my house clean. If only my husband were more loving. If only my kids were behave. If only um, school was shorter. Maybe Caleb's thinking that. If only school was shorter. If only I could hang out with my friends more. If, if only my uh, wife respected me. If only people at work did their jobs. If only I had more money. If only I got more respect. If only people appreciated what I do around here more. And so what is your if only? Maybe uh, take a moment to just start thinking about it in your mind, but I'll, I'll share with you what, um, what mine would be. Um, and because I'm a man, a lot of mine um, connected with my job. What I do as a pastor. And so I want to think a lot. If only our church would grow faster, I would f- feel secure and significant. If only told, people told me, you know, I'm a great preacher every single week, then I would feel um, secure and significant. Um, or if only people, uh, more people believed the gospel and I shared it with them, then I would feel significant. Man, I'm doing something, you know, worthwhile. I matter. It's, uh, my life matters. And so all those things that connect my security and significance are often connected with my job and how I'm doing uh, being a pastor. And so, um, so what's yours? Take a moment just to write down your if only. If only blank. I'll just give you... Um, 
20 seconds to write that down uh, if you have it in your mind or um, just think of it. Well, you might have multiple, like I do. Now, the way you can turn to God um, in those, instead of looking to that thing to give you security and significance, you can change your if only uh, into an even if. Um, even if, you know, so for me it would be, even if our church doesn't grow faster, God still loves me. Even if no one tells me I'm a great preacher, I still matter to God. Even if no one believes the gospel, God is still good and in control. So you change your if only to an even if, um, and that can help you turn to God. And so it's like, okay... This is the thing I want, but even if that doesn't happen, you know, what's still true about God? Um, what's still true about me because of what God says about me? And that's how we define ourselves by um, what God, who he is and what he's done instead of by um, all these other things that we can look to. And so as we close, uh, it's important to know that our desire to have a great name isn't a bad thing um, because uh, that's a desire God gave us, but we're supposed to receive it um, from him, and as we'll see, um, we're going to take two weeks after uh, this week, and we're just going to, we're not going to, it's not like summarizing, but we're going to do like a, a recap of a couple important things that come out of Genesis 1 through 11. We're at this transition point. In the next two weeks, we're going to take a little time to say like, okay, here's important things we learned for our walk with God that are just fundamental to um, the whole Bible. Um, but after that, three weeks, we're going to be talking about chapter 12, like I talked about Abraham. And what God says to Abraham, he calls Abraham and he says, Hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And so it's like, well, wait. These people wanted to make a name for themselves. And just you know, 30 verses later, God's saying he didn't like it when they did it. But then he's saying, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And the issue is we need to receive our name from God. Name is all about identity. Who are you? Um, and what defines you? And we receive that from God. And when we try to define that apart from God, that's when it's bad. Um, and chapter 12 is what, um, where God kicks off this whole plan of salvation that's going to come um, to ultimate uh, fulfillment in Jesus. And we didn't cover the rest of chapter 11, verses 10 through 26. Um, but what happens there is uh, it starts off with, these are the generations of Shem. And remember, Shem is the home team. That's where it leads up to Abraham. And so it just traces... It's, Desire is to connect all the way from Shem all the way to Abraham. And then um, chapter 12, we're going to start um, the story of Abraham. And so it's saying like, okay, from Shem to Abraham, and then ultimately that get, gets fulfilled in Jesus. Then he has his great commission where he says, go to all peoples, all nations of the earth, and make disciples of them. Teach them to move from independence to dependence on God. And then we saw in Brian's reading um, from Acts 2 where, uh, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, everyone's in all these different languages, 
Remember, that's what happens in Tarbell, all these different languages. And they all get this ability to speak the good news about Jesus to all these people um, that are gathered there in, in Jerusalem, all these different languages. So it's like God, um, there was this dispersing, but God is trying to get this good news this out. And so as we start um, next week in Abraham's story, we're going to see how all these people are working, um, all these specific instances where people are struggling with, man, am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to depend on God or not? Am I going to try to do things my own way? And that's what we're going to see um, for the rest of Genesis as we go through it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and I hope it's going to be helpful. So, so let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for um, giving us this story that's kind of a warning to us about trying to be independent uh, from you. Um, would you lead us towards dependence, um, to trust in you, trust in your will, Trust in the work Jesus did on the cross to bring us back to you. It's the only way we can be close to you. And thank you for giving us security and significance. Even though we don't deserve it, um, you've given it to us out of your grace. And thank you for um, leading us home um, through Jesus. And would you help us uh, to live uh, our identity that you've given us in Christ um, and to not be uh, trying to build it on our own. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.